Hello, everyone. Thanks for checking out the Indie Handshake Wrestling Podcast. My name is Paul Ponte. I am joined today by the current United Wrestling Network television champion, the APW Worldwide Internet champion, and Brian Zane's Wrestling with Regret champion. He is timeless. He is Levi Shapiro. Hey, Paul. How you doing? Thanks for having me. I am fantastic. I'm glad to have you on. Uh, you know, COVID's been rough on the indie world. Uh but you've been, managed to do a lot more work in the pandemic than a lot of indie guys. And we'll talk about that a little later. Uh, but first of all, thank you for having Thanks for uh, being on the show. That is uh, how are we doing today? I'm doing all right. You know, um, like you said, COVID took us for a, a wide turn of events, you know, and so peaks and valleys for myself, you know, I'm up and down, uh, but I'm, I'm blessed to have a house. I'm blessed to have a studio, blessed to have three championship belts and uh, blessed to be alive. And uh, I want to go ahead and normally we plug uh, at the end of the podcast, but uh, I recently got some feedback that I would like to honor, which is uh, I think we should plug at the beginning at the end of the podcast in case people tune out. So please put yourself over uh, social media stuff. I know you're starting to do stuff on Twitch. So let's talk about all that. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Pretty luckily to able uh, pretty luckily I was able to score at Levi Shapiro across all social media platforms, you know. Uh, mainly Twitter and Instagram are the ones that I would prefer to use. I do have a Facebook, but it's a little bit more interpersonal, you know, so if I don't really think I've ever met you or kind of know you from anything, I probably won't accept you. So your best bets, if you want to follow me, would be Instagram or Twitter, along with my new Twitch page that I just started up. Um, You know, it kind of dives into a world of wrestling. Um, I I do pizza making, you know, so I'm going to try to do some pizza making on the stream and whatnot along with some video games. Very nice. Well, let's go ahead and uh, jump in the time machine. Let's head back. And I want to hear the, the story of how you discovered the world of independent wrestling. Oh, man. Uh, okay. Well, you know, um, born and raised in uh, Richmond, California, you know, the Bay Area. Um, wrestling was always prevalent around the area. You know, I went to the Cow Palace a few times when I was a young one to go see some WWF matches and stuff like that. Um, but as I started to get more into high school, my high school didn't have a wrestling team. So I would go and do backyard wrestling with my friends over at a place in San Bruno. You know, I would go see um, local music shows in Oakland at this place called iMusicast. And it was kind of like a little local kind of like Gilman and stuff like that. I met a good buddy there. He introduced me to some wrestling kind of CCW and stuff like that, you know. I knew about independent stuff. So I've always heard about APW gym wars, uh, but I had this vision of what it really was. It, it wasn't the vision of the garage, you know? Um, and so that was kind of like the real introduction. And then we started doing some backyard stuff. And then in between there, I saw a flyer hanging up around Albany and it was for a show at the old Oakland Metro. Cause I think there's been two or three reincarnations since And this was the old one that was on uh, Broadway and third. It was on the corner, you know, and uh, it was a flyer for a show brawl, brawl wrestling or. No, actually, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That was my second show. My first show, I went to a show at Alameda High School. I found this flyer recently and it was an Oaktown wrestling show. Mm. And the main event was supposed to be just incredible versus, um, Chris Canyon, you know, and I was like, oh, man, this is wrestling. I can't wait. Nobody went with me. 
My girlfriend didn't want to go with me. I was so enamored with wrestling at this time that all I wanted to do was go to the show. And, you know, um, a couple guys that would later on be my friends, like uh, El Chupacabra, um, Pogo the Clown, Joe Applebaum, uh, Suburban Commandos, Reno Scum, a whole wide variety, right? They were all on that show. Um, Chris Canyon no-showed. So it was, or no, just incredible no-showed. So it was incredible. I was going to say, that sounds more likely for the time period. (laughs) Yeah, 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 totally. Uh, Canyon was there, which was really cool. Um, But incredible no-showed. So it was Canyon versus Vic Grimes versus Altimore Luke in the main event, which was really cool. That, that's a good that's a solid match right there yeah you know and like i said chupacabra versus virgil flynn um i think it was the uh commandos versus the cartel at the time uh, a lot of really cool matches that i really just stumbled into you know and that was the first real show that i went to but i felt like the first real encapsule was when i went to that first brawl show at the metro and that was when uh supreme came up to do some deathmatch stuff um, Joe was doing Pogo the Clown at the time, and infamous memory of myself was he's beating on whoever the poor poor guy was, and he brought him right into the corner of the street, you know, and blocking all the traffic happening on Broadway, which is very, very popular street. And dude, Joe's looking in these cars like, what the hell are you gonna do? You're gonna you're gonna do something, come do something, you know. And so that one was always right there. That was the um the first kind of introduction to independent wrestling for me very good i love that there's so much there's so much deep norcal wrestling lore like all in those two shows that's so great oh yeah Uh, so when you decide now this is something for me this is something i want to do uh how does that transition happen and who'd you train with and all that well like i said before my my buddy that i met at these music shows i didn't have a wrestling school i mean a wrestling team so we would go do backyard shows in San Bruno and we knew a guy, his name was Scotty Payne at the time. And uh, he set up a ring in his backyard and it was, you know, corner post of, of pure wood. And then we, we made a little ring and we put um, carpets on it. And, and she, dude, it was like a, this was the ring, right? Normally you'd have a ring. It would be flat. <laughs> this was our ring. It was like a big uh, trampoline essentially. And we used to do shows and we, we did some, pretty high drawing numbers, you know, and uh, we even booked Mac daddy, Jimmy rip on a show. And that is really where the uh, beginning of my journey happened because um, Sparky Ballard and Marcus Mack, you know, the current owner of APW, but at the time he was just a manager or ring announcer, even at that time, they knew Jimmy rip and said, all right, well, let's go see what Jimmy rips doing in this backyard promotion, you know? Mm. and uh, Marcus and Sparky saw me and they saw what I did. You know, I really love wrestling. I wanted to play a character and did all this. I was going by the name Vinny Stromboli. You know, I was trying to say I was from South Philly and stuff. Uh, So after the show, Marcus Matt comes up to me and goes, Hey man, you got some talent. I I think you should, uh, you should look into all pro wrestling and you should train to become a wrestler. It's like, Oh man, that'd be so awesome. You know, I'm having fun time here, but, to do it professionally would be incredible. Uh, naturally, contacted Roland Alexander. And he's like, well, uh, APW is a big school. You know, we've got a lot of things. Uh, I need $6,000. And I go, <laughs> whoa, buddy. I can't afford that, dude. You know, and uh, that kind of plays into my progression over the years. My friendship with Roland kind of definitely intensified. But at that moment, I couldn't, I couldn't even fathom 
paying $6,000 to wrestle. So at the time we would go to local shows and stuff. And at the time, Devil Mountain Wrestling was in Martinez. And we went to see a few shows there. And I said, man, I think this would be, uh, this would be pretty cool, you know? And at the time I had a friend uh, who, whose name is Ducky, right? Real pretty girl. So the Suburban Commandos um, thought she was real pretty. So they would text her and stuff like that. And they tried to invite her to this thing that they used to have called Beer Brawl, you know? And she's like, hey, you want to come to this? I think we're going to go. It's going to be a party. They're all going to be wrestling. It'll be cool. And I'm like, oh, that'd be so tight. I, I just want to hang out with these wrestlers. I think I thought I was a wrestler. I was a backyard wrestler at the time. I thought I was a wrestler. Uh, and we get into the Beer Brawl. They have the, the actual match, you know? The, hey, you want to get in? I know you're a wrestler. And I was like, no, I don't. Uh, yeah, okay, I'll get in. You know, why not? I got my ass handed to me, dude. You know what I mean? Chops left and right. Um, everybody threw the kitchen sink at me. And I didn't complain. I didn't complain at all. Uh, there was one point, actually, where Jesus, Jesus Cruz, right? Inf not not uh, yeah. Jesus Cruz with you, but Jesus Cruz the wrestler. Which yeah, he, get, he gets a lot of uh, emails slash messages of people being like, I really liked your match. And he's like, not, not me. <laughs> it's not me. <laughs> it took me so long to realize that there was two Jesus Cruises. Um, but at that point, he had me in the Calum Clutch, right? Like, you want to be in the business? Or she, she kind of body had me in the, in the Camel Clutch, sorry. And he had the taser right in my head, dude. And he's like, you want to be a wrestler? You want to be a dude? I swear it's right here. And I'm looking at it like, oh, man, this is wild. This is going to be. <laughs> You know, like, should I put my head on it? You know, they're telling me maybe I should do it. And Sheik drops me before Jesus touched me. And they go, I don't want to be a part of this anymore. You know, I don't know what the hell you're going to do to this kid, Jesus. So long story in from that. But I was talking to Joe Applebomber and he said, hey, kid, I think you're, you know, you're, you're cool. You didn't you just took an ass whooping out there, but you're not complaining. You're not crying. Um, I, I knew what was coming my way. And so originally I was actually going to train under Joe Applebaum at his house. And then we were going to go down to Fresno. Mike Rain had a ring X, Y, Z. And then I found devil mountain wrestling and I thought it was just a better fit at the time. I didn't really know Joe as well as I do now. And so I kind of thought he was kind of working me. So I ended up training with devil mountain wrestling. It was a long story to get there. Right. But uh, I trained under hellfire and Alexis Derevko. Uh, I was really one of the only guys in my class. I think there was one more and he's not even around anymore. Um, so that was the humble beginnings for Levi Shapiro. Yeah, that's pretty much how it goes when it comes to because uh, we have a lot of like we've been posting a lot of a lot of old footage of people training at like Pro Wrestling Iron and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And you just look at all of them and you're like, you can count on less than one hand the amount of people that are still wrestling or stuck around even a couple years after, you know, wrestling training stuff, man. Totally. Totally. It's a. It's a whole new thing, man, you know, and I felt like I was really um, I really felt like I was bred for this business when I when I when I think about it, because it's everything I've ever wanted as since I was a young one, you know, and breaking in, I knew it was going to be tough. I didn't think it was going to be as tough as it really was mentally, but physically, I knew that it was going to come. So uh, I'm pretty proud to be able to be standing here, you know, 11 years later. And one of the only real, um, I think there's maybe less than five people that actually came out of Devil Mountain Wrestling with some actual uh, talent, you know? And so I'm very, very proud to be one of them. And how did you find, uh, 
like you know the realities of hitting the ring like you said you you were no you weren't um surprised when it came to the physical aspect you expected it to be tough but what about like the artistic aspect of it as far as like what kind of wrestler did you want to be and what kind of wrestler did you end up being wow that's a good question actually uh I didn't know what kind of wrestler I wanted to be, you know? And I think one of the things that was really interesting was that I knew that there was an art form to it. You know, I was always um, a theater kid in high school and stuff like that, but I can never remember lines. So I would Mm -hmm. never actually get any roles. So I become, I became a theater tech, you know, and I would do sound and I paint baseboards and stuff like that. But improv was always what was there for me, you know? And once I started researching wrestling more, I realized that how improv and is how, sorry, how improv really brought a whole different aspect to wrestling, you know? And obviously in the modern era, it's not as improv as it used to be in the heyday or even in the late to early 90s, right? And that was something that always really stuck with me. It was like, I can. I can get the same reaction from the kid in the front row with a punch that this guy just got with a moonsault. If I do it correctly, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, that was a whole new world for me. And it really opened my eyes to um, researching the history of wrestling. I think. Yeah. I feel like uh, it's funny too. Cause uh, improv or like stand-up comedy it's the same there's a very similar thing to where when you first start out doing it the first thing people have to tell you is hey slow down <laughs> oh yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> slow yeah. down and uh there's some stuff even on you know stuff that's on tv nowadays sometimes i sit there and i go you need to slow down <laughs> you slow can just down. tell you can just tell uh when things happen too fast um people don't they don't have the time to process what they're watching and i always i always relate that right um before my first my debut match Flaco Loco, right? El Flaco Loco, uh, one of the greatest human beings I've ever met in my life. I, I cherish everything that he's ever said to me. And I cherish all the moments that we've actually had, even though it's not an insane amount, you know? But he looks me dead in the eyes while he's wearing the mask. And he goes, kid, you think you're going slow? Go even slower. And I hold on to that till today, you know, because um, especially now wrestling for championship wrestling from Hollywood or any kind of actual TV wrestling, you have to, you have to be able to digest, you know, I always tell this to any, any younger kids that I talk to. And it's like, let's say you're working, right. You get a guy with a snap mare and you get him in a headlock. If you get him in the headlock, right. And you go into pick him up or whatever, if you just move from that spot in less than 15 seconds, you're going too fast. Because the fact is you're giving them the snap mare you lock them in, right? So now you yourself are in the motion. But now the camera guy needs to get the shot. The director needs to tell the camera guy to, to get that exact zoom in maybe or zoom out. And then you need to let the shot go live. And then you have to have the commentators react on it. So if you rush that, you're not giving enough time to let anything digest. And I've always been a big component of that. So I, I super agree with the – you have to – it's a pacing. You may want quick pace, but the actual pace is slow. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you went, you talked a little bit about, you know, that you said that you got some respect, especially from a guy like Joe Applebomber when you, when you don't complain, because that's definitely a guy where he doesn't want to hear you complain. He doesn't, <laughs> uh, doesn't want to hear anything. Yeah. Uh, so how else, how did you find the rest of the, like the social aspect of 
of wrestling, you know, especially when you're joining in from like you're doing backyard at first, which is going to rub some people in the business the wrong way. Uh, you know, all the other stuff, you know, who you, the way you talk to certain individuals, especially veterans or like any of that kind of thing. Um, you know, I, I always I'm a pretty respectful guy. You know, I always feel like I had a pretty good head on my shoulders. So obviously I would take an unsufferable amount of ribs, especially being the new guy and then being the old backyarder. So they really tuned me up to make sure that I wanted to be there and I wanted to be uh, one of the boys, really, you know? And you hear that thrown around so much, but if you're breaking into a territory, and especially Northern California, right? Because Northern California maybe always been deemed, the you know, the, uh, the island or something. Um, it's very tight-knit, and especially back then, you know, because... Uh, I, I can say that I've seen the the community kind of split a few ways. And it's even back when, you know, I mean, APW and Iron, you know what I mean? That was the yeah. split. And BTW has its own split, you know. So it's been around before me, but I've visualized what's happened during my time too. And it's just, you just got to be respectful, man. Obviously with veterans, and the word veteran is used so loose nowadays because, yeah. I mean, you know, I'll, I'll go on record and bury him, but Mitch Valentine, right? He calls himself a, a veteran, but it's like, you've never done anything, dude. You know <laughs> what I mean? He tried to blackball me a few years ago and it reversed on him. And so it's like, Joe Applebaumer is a veteran. Mike Rain is a veteran. And I've got mad respect for those guys. You know what I mean? Because what they've done is bring in a punk kid and help teach him something rather than, oh, I've wrestled for 11 years once every six months for 11 years you know it's like you're not yeah you're not really a veteran at that point yeah i'd agree with that yeah there's you know and i think nowadays it's changed i feel like more old school it was kind of like oh that guy's been in the business for a while blanket i just have to completely listen to him or or you know no matter how much shit he gives me i gotta just take it but it's like nowadays Mm -hmm. people are kind of like wait hold on respect is also still a two-way street (laughs) and it's you know i mean Yes, you. There's like a, a you know a bit of a hazing process in the beginning, but at the same time you have to be like, well, hold on, I'm still a human oh, being. Yeah. <laughs> We're all human yeah. beings. Let's not be dicks. <laughs> you're not gonna you're not gonna go and shit in some guy's hat anymore. You know what I mean? And, and yeah. get away with it. It, it. Those days are really over. And I think um, currently too, right? Like the Undertaker's uh, comments recently um, been ruffling a lot of feathers because yeah, trying to say that people. Uh, were grit and they had guns and not and it's like well people can still be grit and play video games dude you know what i mean they're like it's a whole different world now like wrestling as it is is a completely different aspect than even when i got in you know and it's about navigating and how to re uh reinvent yourself and the evolution of it really you know uh but don't forget the history you cannot forget the history because that's a huge part of what i'm trying to do yeah, I feel like that's just it was just a really weird thing to say. It was just like guns and knives. Like that's the example. Like Yeah, right. Uh, there's so many examples you could like point to that you can legit at least have a discussion about. You're like, okay, well, you know what? These kids, they don't sell anymore. They don't do this shit anymore. At least you can go like, you know what? Okay, he's got some points here. This stuff could be worked on, you know, blah. But it's to be like, yeah, nobody brings guns and knives anymore. You're like, what the fuck? What are you talking yeah. about? Woo! Good. I'm glad, you know. I kind of I kind of get that way too about uh, some of the people who are way more old school where they're like, 
oh, you know, if the guy's not six, seven, 300 pounds, you know, I don't even want to, he doesn't even look like a wrestler. And I'm kind of like, yeah, but do you notice there's been a big decline on wrestlers dying of heart attacks in their early 30s? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm just saying that there, is there a correlation? There might right. be. And, totally. you know, for me, I'd rather like a guy's a little smaller and he's not killing himself. I mean, like, sorry, but that's just me. Yeah. yeah, and you don't have to mix roids and painkillers and all this stuff. It's such a lethal combo just to get to that level, you know? Yeah. Like, wrestling is so... Um, I'm trying to find the right word, but at the moment, wrestling is a whole different world, right? Uh, truthfully, in my opinion, the wrestling that I might want to do may not be around anymore, you know? I want to live through a riot, truthfully. But if I start a riot now, it's only going to come back to haunt me. It's going to come back to haunt the company that I'm working for. You know, it's going to be on the internet forever. So 10 years down the line, someone's going to see it and say, oh, well, you know, they just don't, they don't understand that it's a, it's a slight difference with the character, but you can, you can still get that kind of heat nowadays, but you have to do it in such a way that's, um, politically correct, maybe for lack of a better word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, there's. It's it's funny too because uh, even when people do complain some of the stuff about wrestling, though, it's like wrestling's still a few years from behind from what a lot of soci- a lot of people in society would deem correct. Like, there's, you know, I, racist gimmicks and stuff like that have really they they lasted a lot longer in wrestling than than uh, yeah. they they should oh, have. Yeah. And, you know, it was built on a lot of stereotypical tropes and stuff like that. And so you can't go as deep, right? I'm not even saying that you should even have a stereotypical, definitely no racism, you know? But even back in the 80s, wrestling was PG, you know? And they used that heat, they used the blood, they used that kind of verbiage to incite the emotion from you, you know? But with all the smart fans and things now, like if you try to incite some kind of emotion, either they're going to be like, well, he's trying to work me. I'm not going to give him any of that. Or they're really going to get worked and they're going to, you know, blackball you essentially. Yeah. It's fine. It's such a fine line. Yeah. I always feel like, I feel like a lot of people are stuck in uh, the really, like the smarky, like really bad. Like I remember one of the most fun times I had was me and a few, a few other people who were all smart quote unquote to the business somewhat as smart as fans can be. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were like, you know what? Let's just get drunk at this WWF house show and just fucking cheer. Like we're like, we don't give like we're just <laughs> booing heels. And it was honestly like the funnest time I had. And I think that was when like a wake up call hit that I was like, Oh wait, like this is what you're supposed to do at a show. <laughs> like you're supposed to enjoy yourself. But like there are times when, you know, you're at a show and this is, I- I'm sorry, smart fans. No wrestler wants to do an incredible suplex and have the people in the front row go. Oh, very nice. Very nice. You know what? You know what? Yeah, it it was a little lagged in the beginning, but it ended up pretty good by the end. Like, nobody fucking wants to see you do that shit. (laughs) Like, start cheering. Start cheering. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's what people want. But, you know. Uh, So we talked a bit about the NorCal scene. Um, You've done pretty much every NorCal uh, you know, APW, Battleground, BTW, Vendetta, East, Bo- East Bay Pro, PCW, but more that I haven't even mentioned. Um, so what do you, what do you, you know, 
all these are very distinct promotions too. They're not all the same. So totally. how does uh, like fan bases go adjusting yourself to play to those kind of crowds, especially when you're being a heel and you get to have a lot more fun than the faces do? Uh, right. You know, take me through your creative process as far as like, well, this kind of fan base likes this, this kind of fan base likes this and how you adjust. Ooh, interesting. Um, one thing I always kept true to was, you know, I started my career as a baby face and then I transitioned into a heel. But what I didn't like was that people would go company to company and switch up. You know, you'll be a baby face in BTW, although BTW is its own world nowadays, in a sense, you know, because they themselves are booking, um, you know, Shane Cody, a heel today, but a baby face next week. You know what I mean? And like that works for that crowd. East Bay Pro or, um, you know, Battleground or something. I'm not going to be baby face one place and then heal another. If I was heel, I'm going to go heel around the loop and I'm going to treat it the same, you know? And so truthfully, when it comes to the differences, it really depends on how far you travel, I think. Cause you're going to get a lot of the same people in the crowd that go to APW uh, that would go to East Bay, you know, and sometimes BTW too. I, I really emphasize the fact that BTW is its own world because they've really niched their own fan base. You know, there's people that love wrestling that love WWE. And if they go to anything outside of WWE, it might be BTW because that's how they market it, you know? They, they go to BTW, but they may not ever know about East Bay Pro Wrestling or Supreme Pro Wrestling because those are a little bit underneath that notch, you know, and that's how it's marketed, I feel. Uh, overall, I would just kind of go in and do the same thing that I did across the loop, honestly. I would try to go in and get, you know, the good guy into good graces, you know, and then once they're in really good graces, shut it down. And if I needed to give the baby face a little bit more, in one place rather than take more at another place than I would. Um, it's just a, uh, I, I guess it's really just how I feel in the moment because I mm. really try not to plan, you know, I think I heard Jim Cornette say this on his podcast one time that if you go to a restaurant, right, when you sit down, you look at a menu and you tell your server, I want this. You don't go to a restaurant and you sit down, they put a plate of spaghetti in front of you because you may not want spaghetti. So I feel a lot of these guys are calling matches in the back and they're walking in. They're not even paying attention to the crowd once they get in the ring because they're already doing their match, but the crowd is not eating it up. Mm. You know? So I'd like to go in and give them a menu and then play with some stuff. And if they're going to eat it up, then I'm going to hone in more on it. You know what I mean? And then really deliver that to them as compared to coming out and saying, well, I want to do this, or I want to get this over. I can want to do whatever I want, but if the fans aren't going to react at all to it, it's not getting anything over. Nothing's really working on that end. Yeah. So, I know. Yeah. I, I like that. I, I like the adjustment part of it, especially because like uh, you mentioned, like Jim Cornette's podcast. So like I listened to like Eric Bischoff's and I know now, now we're just talking about people that the internet are like, Oh, oh yeah. Jesus. Oh, we're going to get, uh, we're going to get trust heat. Me. 
I, I understand Eric Bischoff is, is is a slimy salesman, and uh, but I just find his opinions on wrestling interesting, even if I don't agree with them. So I listened to it, and he mentioned, and he did like a watch along. Where we're watching like an old WCW pay per view, and he talks about it, and he mentions one where Co- it's I think it's Conan, and I think it's Juventud Guerrero, or it's Rey Mysterio. It's one of them, but they're on a pay per view. And the crowd is is dead the first two minutes of the match. And they're like trying like some Mexican submission stuff. And and the crowd is like, and you just see like, and Bischoff pointed out, he goes, and here's where Conan turns the match around. And Conan like takes it. And all of a sudden he starts hitting him just a little bit harder, a little bit faster. All of a sudden he's tossing him out of the ring. And now all of a sudden the crowd is getting into it because now there's like this more physical altercation happening. And I'm like, that is amazing. And then you don't Mm -hmm. think you got to think about like, yeah, he's like, okay. This stuff isn't working with this crowd. Let me switch up the t- the tempo a little bit, you know, and then bam, he gets the crowd into it. And I'm like, that's brilliant. I love showing totally. like that. Totally. And that's pure improvisation, man. Because if you go out and you plan something, you're not going to be able to turn on that. You know what I mean? So a lot of people, a lot of newer kids that wrestle me nowadays, a lot of the times I won't, you know, I won't do the like, call it in the ring, kid, see you out there because that's going to freak them off, you know? I like to say, here's what we're going to do. Here's what we're going to play with. Here's what we can even call. But I can guarantee you that we're not going to do all this out there. Let us put it where it goes. You know, and a lot of kids, I ask so many people now, who leads a match? Who leads a match? A heel is supposed to lead the match. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's only done that way to help get the baby face into the baby face position. You know, it's not as prevalent nowadays but it still can be done that way. You know, it's one of those timeless aspects of professional wrestling that will never leave. Uh, so you've also managed to do, uh, speaking of playing to crowds and working with different crowds, uh, you managed to do a, a WWE, what is it, 205 Live? Yeah, 205 Live match. Yeah. So I'm curious about, you know, obviously – you know, the wrestling in front of a big crowd, all that stuff. But I'm also kind of interested in like the, you know, from an indie workers, um, you know, you're, what you're thinking when you're like, okay, you get the call up. All right. So I have a chance to be on the show. Now you get to the round where they're like, okay, you're, you're actually gonna be on the show. Like what's going on through your mind during this? Uh, how do you feel as far as like preparation, all that stuff? Uh, well, I feel like I had a really interesting case because, um, you know, I guess I'll just start like the first time I ever got extra work, right? Sweating, nervous, um, just just have no clue what's going to happen, right? But on the same end, I do uh, local stagehand work, you know, local 134. So I do HP Pavilion and I've set up uh, pay-per-views and Monday Night Raw and all that stuff backstage. I know how the atmosphere was. But now I'm there as a extra, as a wrestler, you know, I don't want to step on any toes. I don't want to talk to the wrong people or this or that. Um, but then, you know, I go back another time and another time and I'm, I'm getting comfortable. You know, I think my body looks good. I know my talents there at the time. So I'm starting to feel like, okay, I deserve this, you know, and I know some people in the back, you know, I know some of the talent, some of the office. I go, okay, so now you're here. Now, bring it to that day, you're on an extra, they line you up, uh, they're going, um, well, who, who should we pick for this or that, you know? Uh, they didn't want to use me or Wise Guy. But we, we did the match because I was too tall and I, over, I towered over the Singh brothers, you know? And Wise Guy is stacked and he just is, looks like, a, a, like, a, like an action figure. 
Um, but none of the other people felt that they could fit that spot, you know? Um, so they picked me a wise guy and they said, okay, you guys are going to do this tag match. Okay, okay, now I'm picked. Now I'm doing a match. Okay, now the, the heart's kind of going up and down a little bit. Like, oh man, I'm going to do it. You know, this is cool. And then uh, Scott Armstrong was the agent for our match. And they're calling the Bollywood boys or the Singh brothers. They're calling stuff. And they're like, oh, I guess this. Wise guy will tag you in. You come in, hit us with a couple things. Scott Armstrong goes, whoa, whoa, hold on, hold on, whoa. And he looks at me and goes, I'm sorry, kid, man. I, I can't have you get in here with these guys. You're going to tower over them. You know, so I'm just going to have you hang out on the apron. And I go, okay, that's good. He's like, no, I'm sorry. And I was like, no, hey, that's, that's cool with me, man. You know, like, I'm going to get out there. I'm going to be on WWE programming in my hometown, and I'm not going to tag in. Worst things can happen, you know? So personally, that whole match for me, that whole day was very chill. Because all I knew, all I had to do was be on the apron, you know, and look like I'm into it. And then take one super kick off the apron, and that's the that's the show. Um, but had I been in there doing stuff, I probably would have been nervous as hell, you know? But I felt comfortable because of all the work that I've been doing at Championship Wrestling from Hollywood it's really the same aspect, but on a larger scale, mm-hmm. you know, it's the same thing. You walk out, there's the foot, there's the hard can, you know, there's the roamers, you know, the lower third, you're getting all the same kind of vibes, but on a bigger multi-million dollar scale. So walking down the entry and we're in the gorilla and I'm like, I'm getting nervous, but then I remember like, just go out and work, bro. You got shows because they know you can work. You look great. And they, they want you to put you in the spot to give you something. You know what I mean? So I sold the hell out of it. And I was like, I was calm because I didn't have to do anything, you know? Yeah. Had I been doing something, I think it would have been helped because five minute match, right? And it's a five minute TV match. And two of those minutes are going to be introductions. And then the other two minutes are going to be the Bollywood boys getting there. So really it's, it's, it's simple. If you don't overthink it, you know, you're going to go and you're going to lock up. They're going to give you back. They're going to do their sync thing. You know, you're going to take a kick and then you're going to do like, I'm calling wise guys match back right now because it was so simple to remember. And that's how I see a lot of those WWE guys do it. You know, Uh, it was an eye opener to a buddy of mine when he did extra work for the first time that we're sitting in catering and Dolph Ziggler and Finn Balor are just sitting on the couch. Hey, let's do that spot we did in Biloxi or whatever. You know, I will do this and that. And he's like, well, dude, they're calling a match just like we do. I said, man, they're they're the same thing. You know, they're just on a big level with a lot more money. There's no difference in this than APW or championship wrestling from Hollywood, just a bigger budget. It's the same aspect. So I think I was really comfortable at that time. And I think I still am because I finally have found my knowledge, you know, and I think I, I believe in myself enough to go and do that. It's funny that uh, I think it was Dave Dutra that said the uh, when he when he was in there they were like oh so that like the Miz was like or someone was just like yeah so you're just gonna go ahead and um, like you're gonna give this to me and you're gonna give this to me and then the agent was like no no no, no. he's not gonna give anything to you. <laughs> so it's just funny that that always just seems to happen like the guys who work there like the actual yeah. wrestlers are like hey but wouldn't it be cool if you did something to me also because yeah. it's supposed to be a squash match or whatever and then but then the agent's like no it's not gonna listen listen here kid you're doing all wrong yeah and i i always thought that was funny because like 
even you know as big as that as big as wrestlers are who are already on tv they're still wrestlers so they're like hey but also your spot should be this and then yeah. like it doesn't happen but <laughs> yeah yeah and it really it really made me realize the um the execution of producers you know and why producers are a good thing across the board every independent show should either have you know a, a, a producer but even just someone what are you doing what do you do? Someone that knows too, you know, you can't have Joe Schmo doing it. Um, but someone in the back, maybe a person that's a real veteran or has a good knowledge, go over the card, make sure, you know, and, and that's things that I feel like are lost because you'll watch a show now and you'll see 87 super kicks and you'll see 57 Superman punches. The Canadian destroyer is the setup for every false finish in every match. You know, it people really yeah. need to bring it back in. Yeah. And just like, even so someone like a, uh... What is it like in uh, Hollywood in, in like movie making, like a continuity person, just oh. someone to be like, hey, um, like even Cody Rhodes in uh, in an interview, he mentioned he's like, he's like, we need to do better at AEW about not having two of the same kind of segment in one show. He's like, we had a show where ta- someone was team. Some, Taz was like, are you going to join Team Taz or no? And then in the same seg- in the same show, we had them going, are you going to join the Dark Order or no? And it's like, why did we have both of these on the same episode of Dynamite? Oh. And he's like. And he's like, but now we're, but it was like refreshing to hear him like say that, like, damn it. Like we need to pay more attention to this shit. <laughs> Cause yeah. yeah. And even at that level, it's on TNT. And even at that level, they're like, wait a minute, something's going on that we need to fix. But so let's talk about a little bit about uh championship wrestling from Hollywood. Uh, you know, I, I mentioned it a little bit to begin with a lot of wrestlers. They haven't gotten a lot of work in 2020, uh, but you've gotten the, the, the blessing of being able to do it, but also the curse of wrestling in front of no fans. So talk a little bit about that. Well, you know, that was a real interesting thing for me also, because I've wrestled in front of zero fans before, but it was because nobody came to the show. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I was going to say, isn't that like the mid two thousands indie scene wrestling in front of no fans? (laughs) You know, I was just on my Twitch before this and I watched the match from Beale air force base and there was five people in the crowd, you know, And, and it's like, that's a thing, you know, but the main difference, especially coming in to championship wrestling from Hollywood or primetime live, you know, all under the United Wrestling Network banner, um, you have two different sides because primetime live was a live filmed uh, pay-per-view essentially. So when you're going there, there's no fans, but you can't stop. You know what I've learned that when you're filming television and there's no fans, if you mess something up or if you just get blown, you could stop and catch your breath and, you know, get a sip of water or something and then go back into the position and then they pick it back up and they can edit it together to make it look like never happened. You know, uh, that's the main difference. And I think personally working TV, you're always told to work the camera, you know, especially at Hollywood, the fans are always behind the hard cam. And there's usually not any on the side unless it's a big show that they drew a big house, you know? Um, So I would always work the hard cam no matter what and really just zone those fools out, you know? And so it was kind of the same coming into it. But then I had to remind myself that there was no people there. And you had to remind myself that I am in my own entity in uh, in this match, you know? And it gives me a lot more opportunities to be vocal and let my, you know, um, it's like my hoss scream out, you know, 
more grunts and more physicality and you can't go soft on a match like that because if you don't hit a guy they're actually going to hear that you don't hit them because there is no crowd mm. to take it up so you have to tune in a little bit more on the finer details i thought uh but it was a good experience and i'm very lucky that i was blessed um with a title opportunity nonetheless within covid and i'm very thankful that uh, it happened at Championship Wrestling from Hollywood because that was a place that breaking into the business, I would go work for Battleground Pro Wrestling in Southern California. And then after the shows, we would watch Hollywood on TV. And, you know, uh, like Ray Rosas and Mikey O'Shea and Tito Escondido, a lot of those guys were on BPW were also working Hollywood. But I just wanted to be there so bad because I felt I've always been a TV wrestler. I've never been an independent kind of visual guy, you know, I can do it independent shows, but my bread and butter, my bread and butter really comes from television style wrestling. You know, um, I think an interesting note is that uh, when I was raised, you know, and I'm, I'm 30 years old now. And when I was coming in TV wrestling was still a thing, but then in the early two thousands and stuff, and you, you yourself can probably understand this, that, you weren't watching fully produced um, television wrestling, you know? No, if no. you were watching Ring of Honor or CCW or maybe even some old um, of your footage and stuff, right? You had a hard cam and then maybe one roamer, you know? And it would go back and forth. And I, so I kind of deemed that the hard cam generation. And really, it took a lot of the working off of the cameras and more into the crowds. So then guys weren't working for the hard cam, weren't working for the roaming. They're working for the crowd around them because that was what they felt would get the more pop maybe. Uh, so I always say that we're in the hard cam generation, but I'm working like a TV generation wrestler. Yeah, I agree with that. Especially like, you know, even like the stuff that, you know, you were doing in the beginning, like all pro wrestling and stuff. It wasn't about like, oh, we're doing this for the camera. It's like, we're doing the camera to like, you know, make some money later on selling the footage or putting it on YouTube or whatever and trying to get ads, blah, blah, blah. But it wasn't like the priority of like, this is what this is. Like, you know, it's not a TV product. It is a wrestling product that we just happened to tape. And, and you know, that's like, you know, like you said, especially the early Ring of Honor stuff, like besides the backstage promos, like they're yeah. not playing. They don't give a shit about that crowd, that camera at all. Oh, <laughs> like no. they're they're just flying around the ring doing whatever they want to do. And yeah, the only time they do is when they come out and they get on the apron for their entrance and they they do whatever yeah. they can. You know, and that's other than that, they ain't looking at that thing at all. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, all right, brother. Well, the Booker has run out, and it's time to enter the light. The last segment of the podcast, the Take It Home segment, brother. So. We have uh, a list of questions here. Feel free to take. There you go. <laughs> Feel free to take as long as you want on these. There's no hard rules as far as uh, going through them quickly or slowly. Just uh, some fun questions to go over towards the end here. Uh, give me a few words about each of these people. Buddy Royal, uh, a brother, one of the greatest minds, um, you know, that I've ever met. Uh, a real family man, a real dedicated individual to everything he does and a true timeless classic. Suburban Commandos slash the Stoner Brothers. Yay! Uh, 
grit, grit, uh, passion, loyal. Uh, I cut my teeth with those guys up and down the roads. They brought me around when a lot of others wouldn't. Um, again, brothers in, in a world of uh, brotherhood. Those are two really good dudes. Matt Carlos. Oh, the hidden gem. The hidden gem. I think me and Matt have only had one or two actual clashings. And one of them was a pro camp match inside the garage. Uh, Matt has the ability to be a Ricky the Dragon Steamboat-esque babyface. You know, he's got a lot of uh, matitude. He's got passion and just an all-around good guy. And I hope him and his family are well. The Ballard Brothers. Tag team specialist. In a world of non-tag teams, they have been able to be the quintessential tag team uh, for decades almost, right? I think a, a decade or plus. And uh, very grateful for the time that I've been able to spend in the ring with them, even though they like to call the step-by-step movement of all of their matches. So if they say they're going to punch you, you better make sure that you're going to get punched because if you don't get punched, they're going to work back to that spot. <laughs> all right. Uh, any favorite road stories? Ooh. Uh, the, the first one that comes up to my head would be when uh, me and all the Devil Mountain Gang were going up to the Pacific Northwest to wrestle for Portland Wrestling 3.0. Um, and Maynard Skinner uh, got a van and we all piled in the van to go up. And I think we were just checking out sites in the town one of those nights. And, uh, <laughs> you know, Maynard's driving and we are in a lane and I guess there's this new thing in Portland at the time where they have the lane to drive in a parking lane and then a bike lane. Right? Mm, yeah. Yeah. We didn't have those out here in the Bay area yet. So he, he was in the parking lane behind the cars on a stoplight. And we all thought that they were stopped for the stoplight and the light turns green and he starts talking like, go, why are you guys not going? And I look and I was like, well, there's nobody in the damn cars, Maynard. You're in the parking lane. Oh, what the hell? And so we pulled out and then we went in and we wrestled in some podunk towns, Willamina, Oregon, in front of 58 teeth. There you go. <laughs> uh, I consider uh, wrestling to be a very creative thing. Uh, besides wrestling, what do you like to do creatively? Uh, well, actually, I'm a professional pizza maker. Professional? Or I just said professionally. Uh, I've been making pizza for about as long as I've been a wrestler and it's been a lot to help support the journey. So I feel like cooking is a very creative thing that I've been doing and uh, manifesting food from scratch is truly one of the lost creative, well, not lost, but it's a creative art that is in a world of its own. Yeah. This pandemic, I I've, I've learned how to brew beer. So that's, that's been my cool. latest. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Favorite move or hold that you do not use? Ooh, that I do not use. Interesting. You know, it's been a... The favorite thing is always so tough for me. It took me 15 years to really cement down that Terry Funk was my favorite wrestler. Um, so, like, favorite stuff is very harsh because 
I don't love just one thing about wrestling. I love everything about wrestling, man. I love the camera. I love the ref. I love the ring. I love the wrestlers. I love the actions. I love the fans. I love the feeling. I love the, the, the sweat in the air. So favorite move that I don't do off the top of my head right now, I'm going to go with the heart punch. I think that's a cool move that was um, believed, you know, people really thought that Ox Baker killed people with that thing. Uh, and, and, you know, always like carny stuff too, right? The loaded boot where you tip your boot down to load it in and then you would hit someone with it. Um, I love all the old school references you have. I love it. And, and that's lo- me, man. You I love know, that you called like the, the, the promotions appear the loop. I love that you did. I, that, I, I love all that. I love all that yeah. shit. It's so great. Yeah. And then, and that's really, it's, and it, and, and it keys back to being timeless, right? Because uh, my favorite thing about wrestling is wrestling and the history of it. And a lot of people today don't know that there was decades, century almost of wrestling before Vince McMahon ever created, you know? And um, it's, it's a wild, it's a wild thing. I love the history. I I like to preserve it. I like to teach people things that they may have thought was new, but no, no, no. People have done it before X, Y, Z, you know, Um, figure four leg lock, man. Perfect plex. Um, diving I love the bumps. perfect plex. Yeah, I love plex. the perfect plex. It's so good. Mr. Perfect is one of my favorites as a young guy. Oh, somebody posted, and every time I see the gif, I pop for it. It's the it's the where, where he throws it, and then Bobby Heenan is the one who catches the towel behind his back, and I'm like, so perfect. Like everything about, it, I'm just like, oh, oh, nothing better than that. Uh, all right, finish the sequence. Drop down, leapfrog. Roll through, bypass, hip toss, take it again. All right. <laughs> I just like I just like uh, people come up with stuff like ride the fly. Like wait, okay. <laughs> uh-huh. I, li- I like I like seeing the uh, the the machinations in a, in a worker's head when when they hear that they're like, okay. I oh, love yeah. that. Thank you. Yeah. Appreciate that. Um, <laughs> you get, you deal with a lot of crowds, a lot of crazy stuff. Maybe not in the time of COVID, obviously. But before that, any crazy fan interactions you can remember. My favorite story of all time, and I don't have a lick of footage from it because Paul Adams messed it up. Looking at you, Paul, if you're watching. Um, we did a firefighter um, benefit show, I guess. Uh, there was a firefighter Olympics in South San Francisco, and APW got to be the entertainment for the night. You know? Um, and I, I don't want to blow any kayfabe, but a certain wrestler um, that is very hot like a flame is a part of the uh, firefighters. So he was the one to hook it up. And we had a big, big, big uh, semi-main event match announced. And it was the classic connection versus Chicano Flame and the returning to APW, Mike Modest. Right. And it was it was it was a big thing. I was so excited. We're going to do it. It was going to rock. And I wanted to go out there and I wanted to get some heat, man. I wanted to go out there and piss these people off so that when Chicano and Mike came in, they could bump us around like rag dolls and get the excitement going. Well, we all know that the firefighters do a few things in their days. So I figured I would capitalize in on them. And I grabbed the microphone and I said, well, 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 we're here at the firefighter Olympics, but you know what? 
I didn't see any real athletes or real firefighters. I don't even want to proclaim any of you firefighters because you're all fat and lazy. You all would rather sit into the firehouse and eat your chili than go get the cat from a tree for the little girl. <laughs> and it pissed them off so much, dude. I swear, I turned around and there was a drunk guy in the ring, right? And he was mad. He was mad that we called him lazy. He was mad that we said that they weren't going to do anything, you know? Uh, but the thing was, is I saw this guy in the backstage talking to some people before this. So I was like, oh, is this guy, is he like running this thing or what? But anyway, I, I turn around. I was like, you're not going to do anything. You're not going to get the cat from the tree. I turn around. I see him. I was like, what the hell are you going to do, old man? And he lunges at me, dude. He lunges at me and he pushes me into the corner and I'm like sitting there and it's like, Within the moment, I'm like, what, what do you do, right? You, you, yeah. you take off on the fool is what you should do. But I'm like, oh, I don't know if this is his show. I don't know if, if he rented all, if he's going to pay me later or yeah. what, you know? And then Buddy comes in because we were tagging at the time. And he gets him in and he spears him into the ropes and stuff. This guy's grip was so deep. And he tore my jacket, one of my satin jackets. I said, oh, that's it now. So, dude, I start hammer fisting him. <laughs> I start hammer fisting. And, like, all this happened while Mike was making his entrance. (laughs) His entire return to APW, the big thing, the big, you know, spectacle was ruined because this guy got it and I'm hammer fisting him in the, in the room. And, uh, so he takes him off, you know, Mike's on the outside with Chicano and they're like, what the hell's going on? Security is pulling this guy back. I get on the microphone. I'm like, I want to press full charges against that asshole. He tore my favorite jacket, you know, X, Y, Z. But then we were never able to get back to the level that we were at during the match. It was like they were sitting on their hands after that for the rest of the match. And I felt so bad for Mike because it was supposed to be his big return to APW. And it was just so kind of dull. Um, That's probably one of the best crowd interaction stories i've had that's a good one that's a good one shit <laughs> oh. yeah i finally got that almost got that riot that i wanted you know yeah <laughs> uh speaking of riot uh you should check out the uh, i don't know if you watch the Ballard brothers episode uh but they have a story of uh mexico them basically almost getting into a massive riot in mexico so oh, i'll have to check it i will yeah yeah, it's it's a good one. Uh, yeah, you'll 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 hear it. It's 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 bananas. Uh, yeah. So uh, when you're working with someone in a match, uh, besides hurting you, uh, what's the worst thing they could do? Something that just totally messes up, like what you're trying to do in the ring. Um, go into business for themselves. You know, uh, it's not even hurting or, you know, if I uh, let's see. Uh, whip you in the ropes, tell you to stick. I'm going to come in with a splash. You know, if you go, but you don't stick because you're like, oh, well, this isn't time for me to get hit with anything. You know, it's just like, dude, we're working together, man. You know, like we have to work together to provide excellence, you know? And so if you're not on the same page or I've had it a couple of times where like guys don't want to work my style and it's like, okay, well, you're not going to want to work my style, but I'm not going to work your style because it won't make sense. You know, I'm not going to be, you know, flippy dippy Levi Shapiro because that's not how I wrestle. So a lot of the time I have to bring people down to my level when they're working me. And I like to sprinkle in 
you know, some kind of fast paced stuff and then bring it back down with my heat and stuff like that, you know? Um, so I guess really just kind of going to business for yourself and not really thinking about the overall product mm-hmm. of what we're doing because you have to get your shit in, you know? I, yeah. I, I, I don't like that. When's the time you were uh, legitimately surprised by someone in the ring? Uh, maybe you, it was the first time you worked with them and you were just like, wow, our chemistry is off the charts. I can't believe how easy this is. Or just someone that when they were in the ring, you were like, wow, this guy's amazing. Virgil Flynn. Virgil Flynn, without a doubt, man. Uh, the, one of the greatest wrestlers NorCal's ever seen, in my opinion. Uh, he brought my career to a whole new level when we wrestled. And then each time after, anytime I watched him, I still to this day, I watched a match with him in it the other day. And I'm just so amazed with how well he understood everything, you know, and he knew where to put it. He knew how to take it. He knew how to give it. And he knew what he was and what he was doing in the ring. Just phenomenal, phenomenal person. And I'm dearly, dearly missing him. Has a booker tried to stiff you on money? And if so, what are some fun excuses for doing so? Um, ha, ha, yeah. Uh, what was it? I worked boogeyman one time in Alameda. And uh, I guess since I was added at the last second, you know, I was hit up like a day or two before. Like, hey, you want to work boogeyman? Yeah, you know, and I'm still too young to respond with, yeah, but what's the pay? You know, I was just like, yeah, yeah, I'll be on the show. I was expecting maybe a $20 handout or something, you know? Uh, and then I do the match and everything. And then I go out and try to get some pay. And he's like, oh, well, Bubba, you know, I mean, you're kind of last minute. You're at a last minute. You know, what do you, what do you expect? You know, I ain't got nothing for you. I was like, what do you mean? I worked for you. And he's like, well, I don't, I don't have anything for you. You know, you, 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 you being on the show was enough of a pay. And I go, come on, man, that's not true. It was a great experience, but... I mean, you know, I was still I was still way too young to realize what I should have done was saying, no, you you owe me some money and you need to put it in my hand right now. You know, essentially yeah. holding, holding people up. Um, and then another time I wrestled in uh, Massachusetts and it was at some, you know, dingy little whatever hall or whatever. And the guy gives me five bucks. And I wasn't expecting anything crazy, right? Like they got they drew five people or something. It was like five bucks. I was like, dude, I flew three thousand miles, and you're gonna give me five bucks? It's like, oh well, the house was light, brother. You know, I don't care what the house was. <laughs> you need to give me some more money. And he didn't. <laughs> Again, I was never one to be like. Listen here, you're gonna give me my money. You're gonna go to the ATM and get it. You know what I mean? At yeah. the time, and I'm still not that kind of guy. But if I'm working for you, you're gonna pay me. You know, yeah. what I mean? you're not gonna pay me twenty dollars anymore. I'll tell you that. Yeah, five dollars is like that amount is almost like I'd. It's like uh, you're like fuck. I'd almost rather you gave me fucking nothing. <laughs> like yeah, yeah. You know, like dude, five bucks doesn't even cover a hamburger nowadays. You know what yeah. I mean? Like come on, I put it as. I think I I think I bought like a a coffee with that or something. <laughs> and then it spilled and then you were like, this is oh. just a metaphor for everything that's going on right <laughs> oh, I'd be livid. I'd be livid. Uh 
Let's see. Oh, what's the hardest you've laughed at an indie show? A <laughs> uh, few. There's been many. There's been many. Do you know? Do you remember Malcomania? Mm-hmm. So, so we were doing a show in Modesto one time, and uh, Malcomania's there doing his voice, you know, and um, I think he he had his shirt that was it was like a Hulk Hogan shirt that was signed by like must have been 50 to 100 wrestlers on this one Hulk Hogan shirt because that's how he did things, you know. And, and he would just be like dangling the shirt in front of people. Like specifically, I think it was like Johnny Goodtime versus Timothy Thatcher. And Thatcher's like reaching for the rope in a submission. And Malcomania's right there dangling the shirt. He's like, come on for the power, the power. And he did it one time and the twins went out for their match and he's dangling their shirt. <laughs> D-Red takes it and puts it on and Hulk Hogan's the shirt off. He's got all these signatures on it, dude, right? <laughs> I'm, dying. I'm busted. I'm dying laughing. And and he, he like, he wasn't crying, but he's like holding it and he looks at it. And he's like, I think he was getting like momentum for it or something. He wasn't upset. You know, he was excited. Two minutes later, he goes out to his car. He comes back. He's got another Hulk Hogan shirt with just as many signatures on it. And he keeps dangling it for the rest of the show. But when when D ran Hulk Hogan to that shirt, man, I died. I died laughing. Oh, that's amazing. Uh, all right. Working a lot of different promotions. You see a lot of terrible gimmicks. What's some of the worst gimmicks you've seen? Well, I try to usually forget them, to be honest. Um, some of the worst gimmicks. Uh, I mean, I'm a nice guy, right? I, I try not to kill many characters. I think I saw this, like, penguin character in SoCal. It's like, like a, or maybe she's just trying to be, like, you know, spooky or something. But she looks like, like the penguin from Batman, mm. you know? Uh, that was a really horrible character. Um, <laughs> I don't, I don't. I don't want to hurt any people, to be honest. I think I think I've seen some few where it's like, oh, okay, that's a good one, you know. Nice, nice way to copy that guy's gimmick, but you're just doing it as your own, you know. Or like, that's already a person in real life. Why do you need to do this, you know? Yeah. Um, you see a lot of that in indie wrestling, so yeah. Maybe let's go with that. What are some overused gimmicks? Oh, overused gimmicks. Well, the rich guy, you know, the million dollar man kind of character. Um, like freaky, if that's you know, like or demented, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's been a pretty prevalent, you know. Um, any, I mean, even now, to be honest, I feel there's been a huge resurgence of old school gimmicks, you know, people trying to do classic kind of gimmicks and stuff like that. Because I'll tell you, dude, when I started doing my you know, old school Levi stuff, nobody was doing like a vintage throwback, really, like maybe a couple people on the East coast or kind of sprinkled, you know? Yeah. But nobody was wearing the four horsemen satin jacket towel around the neck, you know, really working that kind of a Southern style was what I like. Yeah. I feel like once like FTR hit television, like a lot of people were like, Oh yeah, this is something I'm going to do now. Dude. I got so many text messages from guys saying, 
oh, they just stole your gimmick or, oh, well, you can't do, you know, this. I was like, well, I didn't steal anything. You know what I mean? These guys are on a major level with a platform and doing a character that is exactly similar to what I'm doing, but we are in the same world. You know, I hate, 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 hate when people see something on WWE or see something on a higher level wrestling program, they go, oh, they stole that, you know? They didn't steal shit, dude. You know what I mean? These guys, people think the same or this or that. Nobody is watching your little crappy independent promotion and stealing what you're doing. You know, it's truly what I believe. Uh, You work with a lot of names on shows. Uh, Any former WWE, WCW, ECW guys, or just guys that are like really big on the indie circuit that, and once again, you don't have to name any names, uh, but you know, maybe they rubbed you the wrong way. They acted like they were bigger than the show. Just really was like, Oh geez, I can't believe like, I didn't think this guy was gonna be like this. Yeah. uh, When I wrestled Sabu, he wasn't really a big fan of me. Mm. Um, you know, I tried to go in and say, hi, how you doing? Um, you know, this or that. I kind of do like a, what did I say? I, I kind of do like a late 80s mid-Atlantic throwback. And he looks at me and goes, well, what the fuck is that? And I was like, uh, I mean, you know, it's like an old school kind of territorial style wrestler. Or, he really just was there to get his money, I think, you know. Um, yeah. I was going to uh, say, how long was the match? Like a minute and a half anyway? Isn't that what no, it pretty no, much does? actually luckily i had i had some time okay. it, was a three, it was a three-way with uh facade facade and sabu versus me um so bless facade he took all the you know all the sabu stuff and then we kind of mixed around and i threw a claw on sabu and we worked the claw for a little bit he came up he gave me some arabians threw chairs in my face okay yeah i was gonna say if it's a singles match with sabu most of the time you're gonna get it like five minutes so it's kind of like mm. <laughs> And and bless bless uh, the West Coast Pro promoter. He didn't want to put me in a singles match for that exact reason, you know. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, I, I wrestled Jonathan Grissom one time, and he he was really fun. He didn't really seem like he wanted to um, get in there and kind of mix around with us, which you know I, I get. You know, um, we're virtually unknown to him, and he's usually working a lot of higher talent, so. That was that was a, an experience. Boogeyman was fun. Um, I think I think I have a pretty good precedent of being fairly respected by a lot of people. I like I said, I feel like I'm a good guy, so I always treat people with respect. And very luckily, I've been treated with a lot of respect back. That's good. Yeah. All right. Um, and then the last question. This is the touchy feely segment of the show. Your pure joy in wrestling, uh, whether it be something before, during, or after the match, you get the goosebumps. You're like, this is why I fucking love this business. This is why I love wrestling. Uh, just having the ability to go out and wrestle. And and like I said, if I'm able to do it off the cusp, um, having someone that you mesh with, you know, whether it's a tag partner or an opponent or even a tag partner and opponents, you know. I felt super cool to do a lot of cool stuff with Buddy Royal and our tag team was able to transcend places that I ever thought that we would be able to really go, you know, and um, creating friendships that will last forever and performing with those friends in front of a crowd is the best feeling you can ever have. Uh, Stepping foot into a ring in the cow palace 
was a huge accomplishment and gave me the biggest goosebumps I've ever had. Um, wrestling on WWE TV, even, you know, walking down the ramp while even there's no lights, just walking down a ramp, you know what I mean? That's the kind of stuff that should make you excited about wrestling. You know, it shouldn't be much anything else, really. It should be the fact that you get to go out, you get to perform. Um, I really wish we had bigger loops. I wish I had a chance to visualize different kind of areas. I still want to go to Japan really bad. I think uh, getting my Ribera jacket will give me the biggest goosebumps of my life as that's one of the top three goals that I have. Um, just being a professional wrestler is a good feeling. Very nice. I love that. Uh, yeah, I love the Cow Palace, man. Just everything. It has so much history and it's uh, it's the place that's given me uh, the fun uh, asterisk story I always tell people, which is, that's right, I saw James Brown. They went, you went to a concert? I went, no, I went to Super Brawl. <laughs> oh, awesome. <laughs> and James <laughs> Brown showed up at Super Brawl. <laughs> so, I, so I always tell people, I always go, yeah, I, got, I saw James Brown. They're like, oh, man, you saw, so you saw him perform? No. <laughs> no, I saw him at a wrestling show. Yeah, I saw him walk out and do a little dance. That's so cool. <laughs> I think he came out with like Ernest the Cat Miller, I want to say, yeah. or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I think but that's what That's why, and that's the one of the main, that's just that story in itself is like, I, one of, like I said, one of the reasons I just fucking love how weird and great wrestling is. <laughs> just yeah. like another yeah. fun Cow Palace story, if I may, real quick. If you're yeah. good. Um, this is a, on a story from one of my best friends. And his greatest memory of anything was one of those WCW Super Bowls, I'm assuming. And the Goldberg chant, right? Goldberg's getting ready to come out. Goldberg. Goldberg. And he said some dude was sitting next to him, drunk off his ass, with two beers, double fisting. Cold beer. Cold beer. And that's all. He didn't even give a shit about the match. He was so excited having cold beer. Oh, that's amazing. I love it. Uh, well, thank you very much. Sir. I appreciate it. One more time. Please put yourself and everything over where people can check you out. That's right. I am Timeless Levi Shapiro. You can catch me on Instagram, Twitter, at Levi Shapiro. No spaces. Find me on Twitch. Same thing. Twitch.tv backslash Levi Shapiro. Feel free to check out Championship Wrestling on really wherever you are. Uh, it, it broadcasts throughout the entire United States and whatnot. If you need to check it, feel free to DM me and ask or something. But you can also check it out on YouTube and uh, watch us on ABC7 Saturday nights at 2 a.m. to 2.30, where I'm a co-host of Championship Wrestling presented by West Coast Pro Wrestling and all things wrestling. Thank you all for watching. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Thank you, Paul. I appreciate it. <laughs>